again, thank you for tuning along with us. And if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, and again, for all of our kids that are watching, our young people, again, I hope you're out there. And Caleb and Elijah, if you're watching, or others, and uh, I just pray that you would just also ask mom and dad to help you get your Bible and open it up. And I want you to go to John chapter 19 with me, because just in a few minutes, I'm going to read from God's holy word to all of us. We are on a journey to the cross. This is the fifth statement of Jesus. The words, I thirst. And my topic, or the thing that I want to focus on today is that Jesus Christ is the Savior who suffers. I want you to remember that. We've already seen different things. I'm going to talk about that. But here we are, right? I'm in a room in our new church offices. There's nobody here now but me. And Brother Steve is off to my left making sure that nothing crashes, Lord willing. And there's a camera. That's all there is. And I'm looking to you in your living rooms. And here we are now, week three, into our provincially mandated self-isolation. Or maybe for some of you, it's quarantine. We've had no idea when this is going to stop. Every day, and just like today, at around 2 o'clock, our Premier and Health Minister and the Minister of Health are going to talk to us about the newest cases, if we need to have more restrictions. But right now, everything says this is going through all of April and into May and maybe even into June, let alone do we understand what's going to happen beyond that. We basically only have generalized hopes. Let's be honest. And what's worse is all of us likely have more questions than we have answers. Especially when it's like, what's life going to be like when all this is over? Once we know if we will get sick or who we know that got sick, once we have a vaccine or there's something where we think the season is gone and this virus takes a break, then we will switch our thoughts to our jobs and taxes, the price of gas versus the price of oil. We will think about the stock market and what businesses in our city are going to reopen and who didn't survive. I would contend that just in 21 days, we're all seeing the toll of this physical and social distancing is having. Why do you think we've had all our daily briefing reminders the way they do? If you notice, if you watch again today, every single time there's a briefing across this country, there's always a special time when those leaders tell us if you're having mental health issues, call this line. Reach out to someone. I heard that in parts of Ontario. They've even encouraged people to put certain colors in the windows of their homes or their, their, their apartments so that Someone will see, and each color represents, I'm doing okay, I'm not doing okay, I need help. I believe if anything in this, God is showing the whole world that social media interaction is never going to replace human interaction. In fact, I believe that the idea of human touch and proximity is now being proven that we need that as human beings just as much as the air we breathe. 
And partly, that's because we're all experiencing it now together. We're finding out that physicality matters in all sorts of ways that maybe we took advantage of or we took for granted or we didn't notice. What about that hug on the way in when you meet someone at their house or the restaurant or at church? The sound of other people's singing voices. The sight of hands raised. I miss so badly in our church, Simon and Lydia, who always have their hands up the moment the music starts till it ends. They've got their hands in the air. What about even the smells of a restaurant or walking into someone's house to smell that turkey dinner? What about when we come into our church and you can smell the coffee going or the smell of Tim Hortons? And it's partly because for all of our desire to use technology to reach as many people as possible, we all understand gathering together as human beings matters. Now, I would also say that there have been some blessings and some really cool testimonies that are emerging from this time as well. Now more than ever, I believe in what I can recall of my lifetime, do I have the joy of seeing thankfulness and appreciation rising. From videos of men and women standing on balconies or back, uh, back uh, patios or in their, their driveways doing kitchen parties and singing and praising, to first responders driving by hospitals and people getting out in their neighborhoods clanging pots and clapping, thanking our nurses and our doctors. We're being made aware of what matters more and what counts more than ever. So many of you have talked and prayed more with each other than perhaps you have in years. And I know that's true for me. Maybe you've thought more of others. Maybe you've even put life in perspective. Maybe some of you have realized now that fight you had with your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your neighbor or that co-worker, that church member, that old pastor, that fight or that grudge or that past hurt is not worth hanging on to. And now you realize the brevity of life, how fragile life can be, and the power and the value of relationships. Maybe adult children are realizing more now how valuable their aged parents are. Maybe parents now are much more thankful for schools and teachers. The ability to go outside, the ability to go to a playground or park. Those group walks and those gatherings for barbecues. We've seen musicians and actors and simply everyday moms and dads and kids and friends make funny videos and sing and do home concerts. Prayer, Bible reading, sermons, resources are all being done and being made and being given away now more than ever. But, I wish I could say that was drowning out the hurt and the suffering. How many of us are already wore out by the news, by the headlines, the constant barrage. Here's how many new cases. Here's how many have died. Here's how many are in the hospitals. Can you imagine the stress on our frontline workers? The financial worries, the viral videos of crying doctors and nurses, of families mourning loved ones. We're worried about the homeless. We're worried about community spread. We're worried about those who are listening. 
Too many of us are worried about ourselves so that we're willing not to be worried about others. Maybe we're tempted to think of only my bubble, my family. Frustration is on the rise. We can project our stress and our anger and our questions. I would submit that the ugly side of this is that 1 Corinthians 13, which is called that love chapter, is more of a struggle than ever before. So let me build into this. That's why I believe years ago in the Holocaust during the Second World War, a famous Christian man that many of you might know by name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he stood for Christ and he suffered for it, in fact, ended up in a concentration camp himself, he reflected on the church's current state of affairs and the darkness of the Second World War, maybe the darkness that we feel now. And he famously wrote this, only a suffering God can help us now. And I think there's a reason why that statement resonates with us. Because they feel true. We want them to be true. But I want to make sure I put this in perspective before we turn to our passage. Listen, folks, God does not suffer. In fact, it's the impassable God that we need to help us now. You see, God didn't and doesn't suffer. Remember the sequence. God the Father sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, to live for us and suffer for us. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 explains this when he said it pleased God to bruise him. So we're supposed to turn our attention for meaning, our desire for hope and purpose to the God-man, Jesus Christ. And on this Palm Sunday, as we make anticipation for Good Friday and Lord willing, Easter Sunday, don't forget Jesus died for us. Jesus suffered for us so that we can have purpose, perspective, and provision in this life and the life to come. And so with that in mind, I want you to go to John chapter 19, and I want to read verses 17 to 30. And while you're at home, what I want you to try and do, and young people do this as well, I want you to feel the emotions of this passage. Already in our news, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Snapchat, on Instagram, there's these collisions of, extreme, of extremes, isn't there? There's either humor or pain, anger or passivity. I want you to feel the pain and suffering all around us this week and see if you can take it into a world 2,000 years ago. So let me read this for you here. I want you to feel the suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan preacher, once wrote, The Bible, as it were, takes our hands and lays them on Christ's chest, letting us feel how his heart beats. So feel the heartbeat of Jesus. In John chapter 19, beginning in verse 17. And so they took Jesus. This is the word of God. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic means Golgotha. Verse 18, it's so anticlimactic, isn't it? There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. In fact, it was in 
casting distance to the temple. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And so the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. Also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, which means it was more valuable. It was woven into one piece from top to bottom, so that they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing... They cast lots. And so the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now after this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said, notice this first, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, and this is for some Friday coming when Brother Steve preaches, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want you to realize Jesus suffered. Did you feel it? Did you feel the heartbeat of Jesus? Here it is, Palm Sunday. But I don't know about you, but it feels nothing like it. None of us have been outside. There's no kids coming into our services that they practiced in Sunday school, marching with their palm branches. You see, here we are. I'm in a room. You're in your living room. This marks the beginning of Passion Week, as we call it. We've heard from Jesus for three Sundays. Remember back Three Sundays ago, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we learn that Jesus is the Savior who forgives. But then he told the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise, because Jesus is the Savior who saves. Two Sundays ago, Matt Leahy told us about Jesus, the Savior who cares and provides. Remember when I read it, he looked at his mother and said, Behold your mother, and behold your son. And how many of us can forget how Brother Adam preached to us last week that famous phrase when Jesus screamed out, My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And it's because Jesus is the Savior who was punished for us all. But today, on Palm Sunday, I deal with Jesus' shortest statement. Seemingly two random words. Now, they were fitting for the occasion, but why record them for us? Why did John bother to say, oh, I'm going to tell everybody that Jesus said, I thirst. 
Why did God want them recorded in the first place? And here's what I hope you're going to take away from this on this Palm Sunday, in the midst of this global pandemic, when we don't know what tomorrow holds, Jesus cries out, I thirst, because he's the Savior who suffers. And there are very good reasons why that's so important for you and I. My friends, today we at Calvary, this is where we give God our sin, and he gives us a Savior. Calvary, where we come ruined and yet we receive the perfection of Christ. Calvary, where we come and lay down our despair and receive the blessed assurance of Christ. Calvary, where we come with our sorrow and we can turn into joy and hope. Calvary, where we come with our own hell and we can leave knowing heaven is our home. So if you're taking notes and you want to write something down to take into you this Passion Week, Here's what I want you to take from these two words, I thirst. Jesus thirsted so you and I can have someone to go to. Why did Jesus say, I thirst? It's because you and I needed someone to go to. Have you ever stopped and considered all that Jesus had and was suffering when he cries out these two words? You've already heard from Matt and Adam and myself that crucifixion is a horrendous way to die. But have you actually ever stepped back and considered what he's already been through? The fact that he yells out, I thirst, should surprise nobody. For 24 hours, Jesus has been laid lying. 24 hours earlier, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and for at least an hour, Luke says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood as he labored in prayer over the impending death he would endure. Next, he was betrayed by Judas, and not just betrayed, but betrayed with a kiss. He's abandoned by all his disciples. Even though they'd all brag, remember I read it in our journey to the cross, that they would not leave him. And sometime after midnight, he's dragged before Caiaphas, the high priest, who they had this kangaroo court trial, and he had Jesus religiously condemned. Then, till the morning, he's now sent to Pilate, who then says, let's have another trial. Then he's sent to Herod, the puppet king of Judah. And then they mock him and blaspheme him, and Herod sends him back to Pilate, and Pilate, to try and quiet the crowd, whips him. And as we read, he's humiliated by the guards. Now Jesus is condemned politically. And he's sentenced to die. The mob is yelling, crucify him. A cross is thrown upon him. And he's that physically exhausted and physically tortured. He can't even carry his cross. And so there's a man in the crowd named Simon of Cyrene, and he's conscripted to help Jesus. And they lead him to the place of Golgotha, and there he's crucified. Now stay with me, because our first four statements are made, and then for three hours, from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's hanging there, beaten, battered, betrayed, laughed at, demanded of, abandoned by men, separated from God his Father, and then for three more hours, darkness. Six hours. But notice, no complaining, 
just praying, saving, caring, bearing our punishment of sin. And it's now, now, over a day later, likely with very little, if no food, no drink, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally drained, Jesus Christ, I thirst. These are not two random words. <coughs> These are not fill in the gaps of the crucifixion. Jesus is fulfilling the role that we desperately need. Jesus has felt our needs. He's experienced them. He's walked through them. Jesus knew what it was to grow and to feel. He cried. He hungered. He slept. He was falsely accused. He faced things that in his humanity he didn't want to endure. That's what his prayer time in Gethsemane was all about. Let's stop. Friends, listen to me. Let the words of the preacher in Hebrews 4 now ring in your ears. It's with the backdrop of I thirst that the preacher says, Since then we have this great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every point and every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So today, in the midst of all that you and me and we are going through. Oh, is there anything greater than some of the old hymns of the faith? We have an anchor who keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot fail. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Why did Jesus say, I thirst? So you and I would have someone to go to. We can pray to God as Father because Jesus said, I thirst. We can endure our pain and wrestle with our sin and struggle with our circumstances. We can cast our burdens, bring our anxieties because Jesus cried out, I thirst. Have you ever noticed that God didn't send Jesus to the earth fully grown? He didn't just drop him down on Good Friday and say, here, die on the cross. No, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived life. He grew up. He experienced all of life for you and for me. He knows it's not some weird catchphrase. He knows is the heartbeat of those who believe in Jesus. He knows our grief. He knows your loss. He knows your fears. He knows each and every one of you watching this. And kids, listen to me. Young people, singles, married, families, seniors. Jesus thirsted for you. Oh, little ones, he knows your questions. He knows the future.
no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through right now, and what you will face tomorrow, Jesus knows and understands. And by the way, he'll be there. He will comfort you. He is patient. He will guide you. He'll heal you. He'll give you peace. He'll give you direction. Now you understand. Why, why is it any wonder that Peter, Peter who ran his mouth and then denied Christ three times, Peter who doubted and went back to fishing, Peter who said, who had to hear Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter's the one who would say, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Hmm. Parents, if this is true, look at me now. Give your kids to Jesus. Give your health to Jesus. Give your education to Jesus. Give your future to Jesus. Give your heart, your friends, your future. Kids, give God your elder parents. Give God their future. Oh, and by the way, give God your job or lack thereof. Give God your bank account. Give God your possessions. Give him your power. Give God your deepest hurt and your deepest fear. Cast it all on him. Jesus cries out, I thirst. Of all the cries, it's meant to resonate with you and I. Jesus cries out, come to me. Give me your pain. I have felt it for you. Hmm. On this Palm Sunday, with these circumstances, is there a greater love, a greater hope? I contend this is what makes Christianity, what makes Christ different from every religion and every philosophy and every direction in life you and I can choose. And yet there's more. Jesus said, I thirst, so you and I would have someone to go to. But friends, listen, write this now. Jesus thirsted, so you and I can be satisfied. Jesus said, I thirst, so we'd have someone to go to. But Jesus said, I thirst, so you and I could be satisfied. You know, it's easy to gloss over this thing. But what did he thirst for? And was that thirst in any way satisfied besides just the passage saying some sour wine was given? See, I've contended that Jesus didn't just blurt these two words out. Our passage says in those brackets that he said this to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill scripture. You see, not only did Jesus say them to point them to himself, point us to himself as our perfect example, but he's our one and only Savior. He's God the Son who suffers so we can know he understands. And remember, it says, this was to fulfill scripture. Do you know which one? So many videos and devotionals and podcasts have been from the Psalms. The psalmist said in Psalm 69, verse 21, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Jesus cried out in thirst, but it wasn't just for water. I say no. Jesus experienced the physical desire and need for water, but he also thirsted, listen to me now, for his Father. He's just cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for three hours, darkness descended upon Jerusalem, and he hung there in utter pain and anguish and aloneness. He thirsted for the relationship of his father. He thirsted to be obedient and fulfill prophecy. 
Adam quoted from Psalm 22 a lot last week. But listen, here's what David also said in that psalm. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast, and my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Well, friends, listen, Jesus thirsted for water, yes. But he said, I thirst because he thirsted for relationship. He thirsted for relief. So let me ask, what are you thirsty for? For the physical? For the relational? Are you looking for emotional satisfaction that we all crave and need? And where do we often look for these things? How many of St. John's people right now, maybe even in our own church, are looking for satisfaction in a bottle or a needle or a pill? Maybe some of you are finding satisfaction in a credit card as you surf the net and you impulsively buy stuff, trying to pretend that this isn't what it is. Maybe you're looking for satisfaction in a person, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a group of friends. Maybe for some of you it's a job or a life we long for. And maybe you're looking for relief and satisfaction. Isn't it interesting that all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 17 verse 16, John would tell us, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. You see, Jesus thirsted, and as we'll see next this coming Friday and next Sunday, Lord willing, he was satisfied. So you and I can be too. There's the classic passage, remember? I preached on it a number of months ago. The woman at the well. She's struggling. She's thirsty. She's searching. She's got needs. She's an outcast. She's got feelings of being alone. She's trying to find happiness. And this woman, like you and I, had an immediate physical need, but she's also searching for ways to quench her emotional needs. And you remember what Jesus said to her? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him or her will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so, of course, the woman said, give me this. Give me this kind of water. But she's only thinking the physical. You remember what Jesus says next? He says, okay, go and get your husband and we'll discuss it. <laughs> and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. He says, you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. You see, this woman like me and you, she's trying to quench her thirst for life. What are you thirsty for? What do you hunger for? Are you thirsty to be understood? Are you thirsty for purpose and meaning? Are you thirsty for security and happiness? Do you long and thirst for acceptance or for friendship, for marriage, or for a child? Are you thirsty for a job? Are you thirsty for someone to notice you and to help you or to love on you or to call you or to send you an email? Are you thirsting for freedom, freedom to go outside and freedom to live your life? Are you thirsty for freedom from your past? Are you thirsty for freedom from your present are you a prisoner of fear? Do you long for family peace? Do you want the sibling rivalry to stop? Are some of you thirsty because you're fighting with your child? 
Are some of you thirsty because you feel abandoned by your spouse or you've lost a loved one? Maybe a friend stabbed you in the back. Has a church or a pastor, even I, failed you or hurt you? I want you to realize when this stuff happens to us and we become desperate or defensive and, well, let's be honest, maybe foolish. And so what do we do? We drink, right? Trying to satisfy our pain. And as I said earlier, it can be drinking of alcohol or drugs or sex or money or power or medication. Some of us try to buy our satisfaction with trips and vacations and clothes or food. Some of us try to solve, salve our satisfaction with success or promotions or building a name for ourselves. That's why the prophet begs us to understand what all this is. Jeremiah says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Now here's why. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, Calvary, listen to me. Many of us are thirsting for answers. Many of us are thirsty for all of this to be over. But have you ever taken notice how much Jesus and thirst go hand in hand? His very first miracle, the wedding at Cana, Cana, where he turned water into wine. What could have been an embarrassing disaster, he turned it into a celebration and a foreshadow of eternal celebration. He would tell his disciples in Matthew 24 that when we give a cup of water to the very least of the world, we're giving it to him personally. Why? Because Jesus came to satisfy the thirst of humanity. And what that means is our greatest need. In the Sermon on the Mount, he would teach, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because that's what will satisfy. So Jesus said, I thirst. Because we're to look to him for our satisfaction. The creator of oceans and rivers. The giver of rain. Thirsted for you and I. Jesus, who could calm the storm, cried out for water. Jesus, who longed for drops of water, now offers us showers of blessing. And that's why David would say what he did in Psalm, 90, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowering streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. See, David has learned that power and pleasure and possessions, not even people, can satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. And that's why, my friends, Isaiah would say... To you and I this morning, in Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah said, listen to me diligently, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. And so the point is here. Jesus thirsted, so you and I would have someone to go to. Jesus thirsted, so you and I could be satisfied. And Jesus thirsted, so you and I could be sad. He cries out. I thirst. It's to point us to God. It's to wake a may back, back 
He suffered for us. He endured the pain, the betrayal, the loss of relationship. Jesus endured it all in obedience to God the Father, in keeping with the Trinity's plan. Do you remember what Titus Thomas said, doubting Thomas, when he said in John chapter 14, We don't know where you're going, Lord, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The commentator Leon Morris says, Jesus said, I am the way, said one who would shortly hang on a cross. Jesus said, I am the truth, when the lies of evil men were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. Jesus said, I am the life, when within a few hours, he would say, it is finished. Bow his head and die. But Jesus goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is what you and I need to know. One man has written, Jesus suffered on the cross as much as any one sinner could suffer in hell. He suffered so much he cried out, I thirst for my Father, for the fulfillment of prophecy, for obedience. But he cried out, I thirst for you and me. How can we reject that? Why would we reject that? So as we end another very peculiar service, I want to remind you that Jesus suffered on the cross of Calvary so you and I don't have to suffer in hell. So we have someone to bring our suffering on earth to. He suffered on the cross so we can be satisfied. But this means we've got to own some things. You've got to admit you're thirsty. We've got physical needs. We've got emotional needs and relational needs. But the greatest need you and I have is a spiritual one. We have a problem. We're sinners. Our issue is not the coronavirus. It's not employment or paying bills. It's not isolation or even mental illness. Our greatest need is to come to Jesus who alone can save us and satisfy us and is the only one who can bring us to God as Father. Do you realize the Bible ends in Revelation 22? It ends with these words. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So what are you thirsty for? Or better yet, who are you thirsty for? So right now, right now, do you have something to come to Jesus with? I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Listen, Christ doesn't sleep so you and I can. He will keep us. He will keep us. He will keep us now and forever. So right now, do you have to drink from Jesus to be satisfied? Listen, only Jesus can, can shepherd you. Are you struggling to find answers? Are you bored? I read this week, Mike Reeves said this past week, boredom is God's way of saying, only I can satisfy. It's been said, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. But God says in Psalm chapter 6, be still and know that I am God. You know what the difference? It's who are you looking to for satisfaction. You see, the Rolling Stones really did get it right. I can't get no satisfaction. But I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. But Jesus told the woman at the well, come to me, and you'll never thirst again. 
I love how this woman describes Jesus. She goes and she says to the people back in her village, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You see, she's no longer afraid or ashamed. She doesn't have to be. Jesus bore it all. He knows her, all she's done, all she feels, and he loves her and thirsted for her. This changed her life, and it will change yours. Oh, and by the way, Christian Calvary, listen to me as we go through this. If you get how Jesus thirsted so you'd have someone to go to and thirsted so you can be satisfied and thirsted so you can be saved, then he thirsted so we could be a community. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now notice, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And kids, listen to me. As you are at home, and maybe you're watching or reading your comic books or watching all your Marvel movies or your DC movies, Jesus is the superhero. Jesus not only has all the power, but then because he thirsted, he shares the power with you and me so we can help others and comfort others and pray with others and serve others. And right now, right now, is there anyone out there watching? Do you need to be saved? Are you looking for something, someone? Are you looking for answers or forgiveness or freedom? John Stott said the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for mankind. Will you come? And be satisfied this day. If you have any questions, please email me. Please email my friend Steve. Send that email to questions at calvarybaptistnl.ca. I want you to trust Jesus. Don't trust money or pleasure or self-survival. You have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Martin Luther said it like this. Either sin is lying on your shoulders. Or is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. And if it is resting on Christ, you are free. You can come to him. He will satisfy you. He will save you. Because he thirsted on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, oh, I desperately, passionately, urgently pray that my friends who have listened and watched this service both now live and in the future will hear a better sermon than I have preached. Oh God, would you satisfy me? Can I come to you right now in an example that I will practice while I preach and say, Lord, fuel this sermon with your power through your Holy Spirit. You are the Messiah. You are the blessed Redeemer, the Emmanuel, the one who rescues sinners. Father, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, if there's anyone out there that needs to be saved, may they turn to you. If there's anyone out there that's thirsty, may they drink of you. If there's anyone out there with burdens, will they turn to you? And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.